Well, good morning. We're in our third week on this topic of moving from here to happiness. And the first week, we encourage you to take the same ladder that Gallup uses for the global happiness index and mark yourself. Where are you? Or are you up at a 10 and saying, you know, my life is characterized by just great gladness and joy and lightheartedness or down near zero or one and saying, you know, I've got a long ways to go. Really doesn't matter where we are on that grid. What matters is that God wants us to move towards a life that is filled with the character traits it talks about in Scripture. The word happy can sound almost like a trite, throwaway word, but when that word is used in Scripture, it is connected with a whole array of other elements of it. Happiness talks about gladness and rejoicing and contentment that's a part of it. It talks about living a life where we feel a sense of being blessed, our life being enriched, and to live lighthearted, a person that actually can, even in the midst of difficulties of life, be a person who is actually able to laugh and, and smile and, and be characterized by that. That's what God wants for us. In fact, that's how he made us to be because of how he works in our life. And we're going to talk another element about the way God wants to build this attitude of gladness and joy and just plain happiness into our life. And the topic that we're going to cover this morning from Philippians chapter 2 is a topic of the importance of being connected with each other. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to discover the value of happiness and relationships with one another, but apparently someone decided to give Harvard millions of dollars to do research on this very thing. Well, maybe it wasn't millions, I don't know, but a great amount of money. And here's some of the things that they discovered along the way. They actually compared people who would describe themselves as very happy and those who would describe themselves as unhappy. And one of the things they noticed that was a distinction between the most happy and the least happy is that the most happy were connected with other people in relationships. And those relationship ties were actually strong. You know, no big surprise, right? You say, Harvard had to tell us that? It goes a little bit deeper than that. They said this, a good social relations were necessity for people to be happy. In fact, there are psychologists who have done even more research on it, and they've written and said this, that that need for good, strong relationships with others is fundamental. Uh, the need to belong with others is fundamental to our well-being. It doesn't mean that we have to go out and be the life of the party. If you're an introvert, it doesn't mean you've got to turn on a switch and become an extrovert. But it does mean that there's value in us being connected with other people. Regardless of our personality makeup, we were made to be connected with others. In fact, that's a character trait in us experiencing gladness and rejoicing in our life. And uh, part of the statistics and the analysis on this is that people are experiencing those deep and vital relationships uh, and, the, and the joy that comes with it experience less stress than others, experience more optimism than others, experience better health than others, and even life expectancy goes up. Isn't that interesting? They've actually calculated these things and attach them to this sense of friendship, relationship, and vibrancy that goes with it. Now, I decided to just go out there and do my own research. You know, nobody paid me for it. I just decided to go out to my own research. And here's what I did. I just tried to study people on a desert island. You know, I, you know I research, go to the movies, and you see stories of people on a desert island. 
And uh, you see once in a while in the news people who, you know, shipwrecked and, and uh, I'm not even going back as far as Gilligan's Island, you guys. <laughs> but what are the character traits of those people who are on a desert island? There are actually two words for, that, that come to mind for me. First is, what do we call them when they're on a desert island? We call them what? Castaway. Castaway. That's good. Stranded was the word I was like, but castaway is good too. There they are. They're just got. They're stranded, uh, and and when and when they write in the sand, there are probably a couple things that they write in the sand when they're stranded on a desert island. What is it? What do they write? Help or SOS, right? They don't write. Leave me alone. I'm happy here. <laughs> so there's my research. People actually don't like being stranded. They don't like being abandoned. They're actually looking for relationship with other people. We were built for that. And, uh, and some of you may say, you know what, I am not on a desert island, but there are times in my life where I feel like it. I feel like nobody really knows me. Nobody really can connect with me uh, and experience the grief and the sadness that goes with it. And you realize the reason for that is because God made us for this to be connected in relationship with each other. In fact, we go to this text in Philippians chapter 2, and Paul is writing to those he describes as dear friends, and he talks about this issue of what it means for us to build into our life relationships that will allow us to achieve rejoicing and gladness. So if you have your uh, connect in front of you, you see it on there, you may want to Actually, look a little more broadly if you have a smartphone or if you have an uh, actual one of these in your hand. And the value of one of these is you can actually scribble on it and write it and note some of the other pieces around it to get context of it. And the context of Philippians chapter 2 is a context of relationship. Uh, we get to verse 12 and we read these words. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence but now much more my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, these verses, they're just packed with stuff and all sorts of questions. What does that mean? What does that mean? And we're not going to get deep into that. I'd be happy to have conversations about that with you afterwards. But I want to get to a couple of these key elements that are relevant for what we're talking about here and just observe two things before we get into the meat of it and applications for us. The first thing we observe here is this, that God spends a lot of time in this book on the subject of us getting along with each other. He does, doesn't he? You go all the way through this and you'll see over and over again examples of people who didn't get along and lessons about it. And right even here in Philippians chapter 2, it talks out, it starts at the very beginning, it talks about have this attitude in you which is also in Christ Jesus because he wants us to be, uh, live in unity with each other and be connected with each other. 
He talks about grumbling and complaining here. God talks a lot about us learning to get along with each other. And we can understand the reason why. Because it's connected to a vibrant, joyful life filled with gladness and delight. If we get along with each other, it impacts the way we're able to live the life that God has given us. So God talks a lot about that whole issue of getting along with each other. And the second one is, is that the, outcoming, the outcome of it is to, joy, to be, experience joy and rejoicing. I have strong relationships. I will experience joy and relationship. These two connect with one another. And that joy and relationship Paul describes personally, he says, I experience joy and rejoicing when I look at your life and I see what's happening. He's experiencing joy and, re- and, and rejoicing. And he says, and you too have the possibility of experiencing the very same thing. You know, if you even dig down into the passage a little bit more, we find out that not only is Paul experiencing joy and rejoicing, not only are the people he's writing to experiencing joy and rejoicing, but God himself is experiencing it. That phrase actually, for every good purpose, uh, in this context, it connotes more than just an objective. In this context, that particular word that Paul uses connotes good pleasure, that God actually experiences pleasure. There's a sense here that God does these things for his people because it pleases him to do so. Let's not miss that. God's purpose is is to care for us and to empower us to bring delight to us because it brings delight to him. Isn't that helpful to understand? God takes pleasure in working in your life. The way he works in your life, you say, well, you know, thanks for just bearing with me and being here. He says, no, I, it actually just delights me to be at work in your life. So God's desire here is that we're in relationship with one another and that there is joy and rejoicing that can come out of, the, out of that relationship for everybody, for everybody involved in it. Now let's get to two pieces of it, two key takeaways that are part of this that have to do with our theme. And the first is, there, there is a calling here to be connected with Christ. There's a calling to be connected with Christ. And you say, Mark, you're a pastor, we're in a church, of course you would say that. But the, the reality is, it's a good thing we're here because there are not many people around us that are saying that. And frankly, I'm not saying that. I'm just repeating this. God calls us to be connected with himself. It is the way the world works. It is the way we were made to be connected with Christ. And we see it here in verse 15. It talks about us being the children of God. In verse 13 it says, For it is God who is at work in you and at work in powerful ways. This need for us to be connected, first of all, with Christ. And you say, well, what does that connection look like? Let me talk a little bit what it doesn't look like. It doesn't mean that we go to church on Sunday. That's not connection with Christ, as God's Word talks about it. It it doesn't mean that we wear a cross around our neck or put one up on the wall in in our house. It doesn't mean even that we pray 
When God's word speaks about connection, there are three elements of that connection. The first is this, that we decide to confess our sin. We acknowledge the things in our life that have messed us up, that are examples of our decision to live life our way, the rebellion, the distance from God that's a part of it, and to just be frank about it and acknowledge it, to notice it's there because it matters and it gets in the way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins, he'll restore our life. Do you remember seeing that video, It's Not About the Nail? Let me, let me, let me show it to you again. There's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would, trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. Thank you. Ow! Come on, if you would just... Don't! You can watch that one a dozen times and enjoy it again, can't you? Wow, there are a whole bunch of layers to that one. But the reason why I brought it out this morning is I think there is this sense in us, don't tell me what's wrong. Don't tell me. And God is the one who does it, and he does it because he wants us to get to a point where that stuff, the pain of it, goes away. And the first calling that God makes on our life to be connected with him is to acknowledge the nail. What is it? What are the parts of my life that are broken and, and mess me up and my relationships with others and to identify it and to confess it to God and ask for his help with it? Is it, is it a sense of, uh, of anger? Is it, a sense of, is it a sense of jealousy? Is it, I want to I get even with that person? Is it unforgiveness? Is it self-centered behavior? And you see all of those things. The, the reason why God calls them sin is because they ruin our lives. And those particular things that we just talked about, you see the way they ruin relationships, don't you? Any of those things, jealousy, self-centered, revenge, whatever it might be, it ruins relationships. And so God says to us, I want you to acknowledge it. I want you to admit it. I want you to, to confess it to me. 
We confess our sin. And God is faithful and good. And he not only forgives us, but he restores our life. Do you see the significance of being connected with God? That we make our choice, we make a choice to confess our sins. And there's a second element of it. It's not only that we confess our sin, it's that we let him in. That we let him in, that he actually comes into our life and he occupies it. You see, to be connected with God isn't simply that we acknowledge with our head who, who, we're, who we're faithful to. It's that we invite him to actually be present in our lives. And he, he occupies my life and he restores my soul. You know, before I came to faith in Christ, I could have stepped on a scale and weighed whatever it is I weighed. And when I came to faith in Christ, I could step on the scale and I would weigh the same. But the reality is this, is that when I stepped on the scale right here, before Christ came in and occupied my life, I was entirely different than what I am over here. Because I merely say, I merely confess my sins and invite Jesus Christ to occupy my life, and he does. The supernatural presence of the living God comes into my life, and he changes me, and I am changed by it, and we see evidence of it. How many of us have gotten up in the morning and began to read Scripture, and all of a sudden, it's like it speaks to us, and it hits our heart and our head and our will. Do you know why that happens? It's because the Spirit of the living God, we've invited him to reside inside of us. I know a business person who was in the middle of trying to close a deal, and it looked like a really good deal, and just the, 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 morning, the morning of the day that they were going to close the deal, this business person got up and spent time with the Lord and just had this check in their spirit that it was the wrong thing to do and, and walked away from it. In a retrospect afterwards, long afterwards, they could see, I could see the hand of God in that. How does that happen? Is that because a person has a head knowledge or an intellectual assent to Christ, but it's because the Spirit of the living God occupies a life? and changes it. It is substantially different. It is different completely in substance than it was before. That's what it means to be connected with God, to confess our sin, to invite him in. And we can even see it here in this passage where it says, work out your salvation. The reference here isn't make sure that you work hard enough to get saved. The reference here is to, to live in relationship with others to live out the salvation Christ has brought to us. He goes on, and Paul, just in case you miss it, for it's God who works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Did you see it? it is God who works in us. We confess our sin, we invite him in, and the third part of it is we call him king. We call him king. This is not a democracy. Whatever he says I have resolved, I will follow, whatever it is. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy, my yoke is light. That, that God actually leads. We talked about happiness being found in his harness. He is king. 
We're going to take communion in just a few minutes here, and it is an acknowledgement of that reality. We confess our sin, we invite him in, and we call him king because that is who he is. That's what it means to be connected with the Father. This is what Paul was talking about in Philippians 2. That's what it says in God's Word. Now, you might say, Mark, you just did a crazy bait and switch. I thought you were talking about relationships, and, and you get on this, this, uh, this other topic, it seems like. Now, let me make sure, uh, make clear the connection between a connection with God and our relationships with other people. The first I'll use is a picture. It's a picture of what we do in Christian weddings. In a Christian wedding, the groom comes in from one door. That's what we do in the sanctuary. And the bride comes in, oftentimes in another door. And they come in together. They join hands. And we worship together. And they make promises to each other. But if you listen closely, they're making promises to God. And the prayers are prayers that God would walk into that relationship and that God would be present in it. That's distinctly different than a civil relationship performed by a justice of the peace. This is an invitation for God to be present and it's a commitment that's made to God, first of all, and then to one another. And I'll tell you, in my relationship with Beth, it is a good thing that she committed to God, first of all, and me to second, because I've disappointed her. He never has. He doesn't. And saying, God, I promise you that I will love that person. And while that person will fail, and we do, don't we? The presence of the living God in our relationship gives us capacities to forgive, to love, to persevere. Do you see? You can see connection with God, impact with relationships. I'm going to tell you one other story. It's a story of our youngest daughter, Meredith. When she was in high school here, one of the greatest gifts that we've been given by Hillcrest is the, the, the countless number of people that have loved and served our kids around here and that have prayed for them all the way through. When Meredith was in high school, she was really drawn to one of the guys in the youth group. And they connected with each other and you know, they were kind of considered, I don't know, you know I, I get afraid of using the, this, this language because it's not the same language used today, but they were kind of like an item. They were, uh, they, they, they were, uh, they were uh, friends. And everybody knew it. And then it just went bad. And uh, they were trying to work it out, and it's awkward as well. You know how that, remember those days? And they were trying to work it out, and uh, then the guy that she was so interested in and been connected with brought another young lady to youth group. Oh, I'm telling you, Meredith, just... I said, well, you decided to break it up. Yeah, but still... And then Meredith began to compose playlists. And one of them was this young man's name and the word sucks afterwards. And she composed like three playlists with, with songs. And, you know, Adele's really great for those kinds of playlists. You know, everything's wrong and he's a jerk and whatever it might be. I mean, it was just that, that, that kind of a playlist that went with it. And so they were just, both of them were going through this. And I, I actually had a... A great connection with this young man, too. And so it was just, it had all gone sideways. And one day in youth group, 
the youth leaders decided we're going to have a time together of worship, and then we are going to wash each other's feet. And uh, this young man's girlfriend was right there in the room. And in the middle of that whole worship time together with our young men and women that are part of our church, Meredith has just had this sense that she should wash that girl's feet. And so she just kind of broke the protocol for the line, and she went over and she washed this young lady's feet. She said to me afterwards, Papa, she said, I just, I just felt like God told me that that's what I ought to do and that's who I ought to be. Did you hear that? God does that kind of stuff. And afterwards, this young man was in my office and he said, Pastor Mark, when I saw that, I just thought, what a fool I was to ever let her go. But you see, the reality in this isn't who ends up connected with who. The reality of it is that if we invite the Spirit of the living God to reside and to rule in our lives and we listen, it creates relationships that are deeper than they could ever be. Do you see? God says, be connected with me. And listen and watch what happens in your connections with others. There's a piece of it that's essential for us to know. A vibrant relationship with Christ leads to a joy-filled relationship with others. A vibrant relationship with Christ leads to a joy-filled relationship with others. It's just the way God made us to have him occupy our life and transform and strengthen and bring grace and compassion to our relationships. It's the way he made you and me to be. There's one other element that we see here in the text, and it's not only a call to be connected with Christ, but it's a call to be deeply connected with others. And we can miss this, actually. We can construe things connectedness with others and call it friendship when it's really not. The kind of friendship that Paul talks about here is a friendship, the first element of it is this. It, it's a group of people that actually uh, are, uh, uh, want the best for another person. Deep friendship occurs when I want another person's best. I'm concerned about this. We see it in Philippians actually right here. And what is it? Verses 3 and four, do not, chapter two, Philippians two, three, and four, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And we even see this in the end of this passage where Paul says, you know where my joy and rejoicing comes from? It comes from watching what God is doing in you. That's what I want. I want God to work in you. In fact, I'm going to invest myself in you because the joy and rejoicing and gladness that comes from that, it cannot be matched. How easy it is for us to collect people that become helpers to us. You know, we come along and be part of me because you'll help me to feel good about myself. 
you'll help me with this particular project I have. And those aren't friends. Those are helpers. Friends actually are those that are connected in each other's lives and they actually derive joy out of what they get to do to help the other person grow and develop. That's, that's what friendship is. Not me collecting a bunch of people that are going to help me. It's being engaged with people and, and we're in this relationship with each other that brings joy and rejoicing. So that's one part of it. It actually is to be, it occurs when I want another person's best. But there's one more piece of it that I want to draw attention to and it's that I not only want their best, it occurs when we're on mission together. That's when friendship really develops. And we see it here in this mission, this mission that they have to be the light of the world, to hold out the word of life. It sounds like our mission statement, doesn't it, actually? To bring every person to life in Christ, to hold out the word of, word of life, to be characterized by strong relationships that aren't characterized by jealousy or comparisons, but actually uh, 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 characterized by care for one another. But not only care for one another, but mission to others. There's actually a sense of, 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 of friendship that is cultivated when we do things together. I mean, think about it. Think about the people that you are most vitally connected with in friendship. Did it happen because you went to a bunch of Royals games together? Did it happen because you played golf together? No, those are companions. Those are hangout people. Friendships, they happen when we're on mission together. That's certainly been true in my life. When there's some hard-fought thing that has to happen, it happens with parents. When they're trying to work on being great parents and working on kids and struggling with it, what happens in those relationships with each other? They just grow close, don't they? Because people are on mission together. It happens in the workplace when you're on this project and it's hard and you're working long hours and you realize a sense of connection with the other people on the project that you never felt before. You see, that's how relationships develop. And isn't it interesting, when we go back to the start of the Evangelical Covenant Church, that those people were, first of all, described as mission friends. They engaged in mission together. They were friends of God and friends with each other, but it was the mission that occupied it. You know, I've realized in my life is that it's easy for my friendships to go from being together in, on mission with other people to reminiscing about the mission that we used to have. And I realize that I and all of us can be this close to friends, deep, developing friendships if we just simply find a mission to engage in together accompanied by God in something that matters and all of the difficulties that come with it that Paul is talking about here. But the result of it is we get to know the character of one another. We get to support each other and we become mission friends. Until the day we die, God is inviting us into not merely reminiscing about what we did once, but engaging in what we can do today. This is the way God has designed us. Deep friendships are forged through opportunities provided by difficult circumstances. You say, Mark, I just don't feel like I have any friends or strong friends, deep friends. 
Let me suggest a couple of action points for you on this, and this gets to the place on the card where we talk about my next step. And as we come together and we're involved in communion together, perhaps you'll have a time during that, uh, that time in our service to reflect on this. I'm going to just suggest three possibilities for some of you here in regards to cultivating friendships that will lead to gladness and rejoicing. The first one is this for perhaps somebody in this room, to be connected with God. To actually get to the point where it's not just something you do religiously, coming to a place like this or wherever you go to church, but to say, I'm going to confess my sin, I'm going to invite him in, I'm going to call him king. That's where it starts. That's the way we were made. I'm going to confess my sin, I will invite him in, I will call him king. That might be the option that God's compelling you, that step God's compelling you to take right now. Another possibility might be in that collection of people that, that, that are around you and they're of great help to you, but they're helpers and they're not friends. They'll say, I'm going to find some of those people in my life around me that care enough about me to help me and I'm going to turn it around and I'm going to be a part of engaging in their life in such a way that I can be that kind of a friend to them. Just look at the people that are helping you and say, God, which ones do you want me to engage in and be a part of in that way? The third, the third possible action point is for you to connect with those people with whom you're in relationships and you're basically just hangout people. They're just companions rather than deep friends and to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to find a mission that the two of us, the three of us, four, whatever, can join in and our friendship is going to go deep because we found a mission and we're going after the challenges of it together. Find someone to engage in mission with. Many of you know the name of Robertson McQuilkin. He was a wonderful leader and uh, was involved internationally in many things. Remarkable communicator, great encouragement and challenger to me when I was a young man in ministry. And he found out that his wife, Muriel, actually was suffering from Alzheimer's. And as her plight got more and more difficult, Dr. McQuilkin said to all the people he was engaged with, I am going to step away from ministry. And, you know, people would just... just you know, catch their breath when they heard that. And he says, no, I'm in covenant relationship with one person, and it's my wife, Muriel, and I'm going to engage in that in whatever it takes. And so he stepped away from all kinds of things, and he walked into a season of his life where it was, I'm going to love and serve my wife, Muriel. And he wrote a reflection on that transition and the challenges that were part of it, but the joys that were found in it as well, too. And in the middle of that reflection, Christianity Today wrote it actually called Muriel's Blessing. Great read, by the way. In the reflection on that, he talked about how precious to him and his wife his friends were to give them a sense of balance and strength and even joy and gladness in the midst of what was going on. And Dr. McQuilkin said this, I will never forget these words. Make friends in the spring and summer of your life because they will be your most precious possessions in the fall and winter of your life. That's exactly what God invites us into. Would you pray? Lord, thank you so much for 
your word and your calling and your invitation to us. I pray now, Lord, that you would help each of us through the power of your Holy Spirit to know what it is we can apply to move into the relationships that you want for us. In Jesus' name we pray.